All right, hang on. I gotta, I gotta light the candle. Yeah, it's excellent sound effect. Welcome to the Eternia Review. My name is Ben, and I'm Truman. We're going through episode by episode, watching He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, and this week, episode twelve, the disappearing act, wherein you're disappointed by the amount of time travel. I saw the description for this, and I thought, oh, finally, some time shenanigans. This is going to be the one. They're going to really do it. They did not. Yeah, they did not. But we do get the best opening on the spires of Snake Mountain. And I think as they're panning over the landscape, a wolf howls in the background. Of the standard openings we've got, we've got space openings, you got Snake Mountain, you have like panning over the kingdom of Eternia, right? That's pretty much most of them. There might be some exceptions to that. So you say Snake Mountain is your favorite opening. As you noted in the last episode, when you open on Snake Mountain, we get to get right into Skeletor's business. Which we do here. So we cut into Skeletor's throne room, still has the creepy pitch black gargoyles with red open mouths sitting behind each one of the chairs. Beastman, maybe the wolf howl signifies Beastman's presence. It's a clever foreshadowing by the writers. All right, a wolf howl, it means it's a Beastman episode? I do think so. Beastman has set up the, quote, activator near Mount Crona, which is the biggest volcano in Eternia, Skeletor explains. They're going to activate it and it'll explode and destroy everything. And then when everyone tries to flee, they're going to make a move on Castle Grayskull. Like they're going right into it, right into the action. They do also give us another name for a place. Uh, apparently, the village that sits outside of Palace Eternia is on the Fertile Plains. We had a lot of name places in this one, I felt like. They packed some here in the beginning, and there's a lot later, too. So on the Skele Viewer. A spider robot pops out from the ground and zaps the volcano. You would not believe what happens next. It activates the volcano and it starts to explode. There's like two scientist dudes. Did I name both of them? I only remembered one of their names because the one guy's name is Elmas. And I don't understand why they have to take actual names, change one letter to make it sound like different. Like this and Pangus. So Elmas' root name is Elmer, you're assuming? Elvis. Oh, Elvis. Yeah, I just, well, I mean, because it could be Elmer too, I guess. And I'm sorry, what possible name did Pangus come from? Angus is a real name. Oh, with a P attached. Yeah, okay. Your theory stands. I don't know why they have to do it either. <laughs> but yeah, Elmas and unnamed scientists are speeding across the land in it kind of looked like a futuristic drag racer out the back there were those l-shaped exhaust pipes that you see that like pop up and then go backward and they also so they're in kind of a bubble in the body of the car and they also have a r2d2 drone situation out in the front of the car there's a separate little glass bubble, and what looks like a robot face hanging out in the front of the car. So did they actually say they were scientists? Because I kind of just inferred that because they were driving such a futuristic-looking drag racer. I guess I just sort of assumed they were like guys like taking tabs on the, the volcano. But now that I'm thinking about it, what are those dudes doing out there? 
Just cruising? Just cruising. So the volcano's going. Our two scientist buddies may or may not actually be scientists, may or may actually be moonshiners or something, decide they're going to go warn everybody, and then He-Man shows up to save the day. They spot He-Man flying through the sky on one of the hover bike vehicles, and you know the old adage, if you use zaps to start the volcanic eruption, you must use zaps to solve the volcanic eruption. I've heard that, yeah, in my day-to-day life, because that's what happens. He-Man has heard this adage, because he zaps the volcano. He zaps the volcano kind of around the rim and causes the volcano to collapse in on itself. The scientist moonshiners note that he has smothered the volcano. I've said this before. I'm not a geologist, but I don't think that's how volcanoes work. I think you're right. Pretty sure that thing would explode still. So He-Man drops a bunch of rubble on the top of the volcano. The volcano is still got a bunch of pressure that it's trying to release and is now, if this were more realistic, you know, now throwing the second most dangerous item in all of Eternia, boulders across the land. Not the third. That's the third. We got to keep our hierarchy straight. Because number one's muscles. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Muscles before zaps. Before boulders. Boulders afterward. Just superheated boulders flying in the sky. But in reality, or in this reality, it works. We cut back over to Skeletor and Beastman watching on the Scala viewer. Beastman says, He-Man's too smart for us. Skeletor disagrees. He has another yeah, plan. got another plan. He's like very hunched over in this scene. He's like brooding. The other thing that I noticed about skeletor on his throne which yeah he is totally hunched over he doesn't have muscles so is it still bad for your back to have poor posture as a skeleton i mean he's still got joints right but also he has muscles he just has a skull face or do you think his blue body's a like suit for his bones i guess i assumed he was all bones a fleshy body with a floating skeleton Skull head seems way creepier, though. Yeah, it is. Skeletor also has what looks like a plush fur blanket on his chair. So he has some affordance for comfort anyway. Yeah, yeah, he has to exhibit his wealth and power, right? As part of his show. I think he had a little more of uh, Beastman's defeatism. Where like everything, whenever anything goes wrong, Beastman's like, well, he beat us again. You're never going to beat him. Skeletor's the eternal optimist, says, yes, I will. Here's my actual plan for this week, because it was all bait and switched by the writers. This was not actually the plot of this week. So Skeletor pulls out two magic invisibility power helmets and plans to sneak into the palace and capture Prince Adam. So here we confront whether or not Skeletor knows that Prince Adam is He-Man. So his plan is to capture Prince Adam because that'll draw He-Man out and he'll be able to do something to He-Man once he draws him out or something. But I think the intent is that he doesn't know and that he's going to capture Prince Adam, not realizing that he's captured He-Man already. Like there's no way in reality he couldn't know because he watches them all in his Skeletor vision, right? He's watching the palace constantly. 
So presumably at some point, Skeletor would have happened to see He-Man. Yeah. And so I think it's still plan still works. He-Man thinks his disguise is still working because he's He-Man, so he's an idiot. Skeletor knows that if he captures Prince Adam as Prince Adam, he won't transform because he'll want to maintain the illusion that he's different people. And then He-Man will be effectively taken out. It's an interesting theory. I think the facts of this episode run uh, very contrary. Unless Skeletor is just incredibly absent-minded, I guess. Absolutely. This 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 episode. This is what I wrote down before watching the episode. And yeah, it gives Skeletor a lot of credit, which he does not deserve based on his actions later. In the meantime, Skeletor has hatched his magic invisible hat plan. We cut over to Orko's room where Man-at-Arms is scolding Orko for a messy bedroom that is filled with plush toys and other weirdly colored trinkets. There's like a teddy bear that looks like... What are those things from Final Fantasy? The like little teddy bears that have like the single antenna with the fuzz ball on the top? Is that it? Oh, the ones that say Koopo all the time. Uh, Mog. Yeah, yeah. It looks like that. There's also a what looks like the haft of a hammer that has the brown wrapping and then you can see the head of the hammer has the like angular block face looks a lot like thor's hammer Mm. so i wonder if there are other cute references in the stuff in orko's room it looked like a lot of like juggling tools to me among the mess is a literal bag of tricks that (laughs) horko picks up it is it is like a handbag labeled tricks it's like what's this my old bag of tricks so dumb amazing he also finds his old wand and tries casting a cleaning spell he tries a couple of them he's back in the rhyming couplets to cast the spell oh, the one that finally works is a wand of glass clean my room sweeping through like a broom and then the wand starts like flying around disappearing things meanwhile we cut over to tila who is praising her father, Duncan, for his inventiveness because the royal zoo has a dire need for wolf bats. So Man-at-Arms has invented what Prince Adam comments looks like a beeper, and apparently it attracts anything that flies. So Prince Adam knows what a beeper is. Did they have beepers in 83, 84? Widely used in the 80s. Okay, they would have been around. Well, they would have been around for the writers of the show. There is the gizmo. It is a hand-sized white compact that has some speaker lines on it and a big uh, red button. And presumably you press the button and it attracts anything that flies. Seems like an extremely inefficient way to catch a single type of flying creature. Like, you're going to get everything that flies. You get mosquitoes, get horseflies, get pterodactyls, because those are around. Can't swing a stick without hitting a pterodactyl in the jungles of Eternia. (laughs) There's dragons out there, too. But nonetheless, this is the thing that Man-at-Arms is a genius for inventing. 
The other thing to note about it is that it is allocating government resources to fulfill the whims of the royalty because like the Royal Zoo is a menagerie. That's not, unless it's open to the public, which I guess we don't know if it is or isn't, but like most of the time a zoo historically would bend for the king and queen to see all their fancy animals from around the world and wouldn't have been open to the public. It would bend for the rich people to see. So he's spending his time inventing this thing that attracts things that flies that'd be useful in hunting be useful for a lot of things i guess but it's spent on fulfilling the whims of the royalty as opposed to helping out the everyday man once again while man at arms is summoning literally every flying creature to fill out the royal zoo elmis has returned home to hoe a broken field with a single rotting spade and his daughter is on her hands and knees digging potatoes with bloody fingernails. Oh man, it's a brutal picture. Tila and Prince Adam are wowing over Man-at-Arms invention and they hear the ruckus from inside Orko's room. So they rush over to investigate. And for reasons I don't understand, Prince Adam busts out his sword of power. He has it in his hands when they get into the room. I guess he assumes that Skeletor has attacked Orko, and that's what's causing the ruckus. But he should know better. It's Orko's room. There's always a ruckus going on in there. There's always a ruckus somewhere around Orko. That is very true. Of course, God knows what Orko summoned on accident, so I guess he knows better. So Tila has just told Adam that here's a beeper that summons any flying creature. Adam and Tila burst into Orko's room, Adam holding the sword out, and Orko is presumably a flying creature, at least he floats around everywhere, and so I thought that they were going to use that to accidentally knock the beeper into action, and then that was going to cause Orko to fly over to Prince Adam and disappear his sword with the wand that's running amok. Actually, I think the same thought crossed my mind. But it did not need to happen because Orko is just zooming around wildly everywhere and accidentally bumps into Prince Adam. It just disappears a sword straight up. At this point, Man-at-Arms alerts Tila that Skeletor's Doom Buster has been found nearby. <laughs> so what's the Doom Buster? Is that his like, dune buggy? His little Skeletor mobile? Like when the sword disappeared... Orko and Adam are like visibly upset. She was like, what's the big deal, guys? Not like a big deal. You just get a different sword. It's fine. I'm sure you can find a way to get it back. And then Man-at-Arms comes over about the Doom Buster. And like he comes out, asks Tila to come with him. And then as he tells Prince Adam, I think He-Man should be ready soon. And then Prince Adam's like, yeah, it's fine. Everything's cool. Nothing's a problem. And he like squirms out of it, which... I don't think He-Man, the way they characterize He-Man as He-Man would have done. But Prince Adam clearly has no problem lying to get out of trouble. Or a slightly more charitable view is that he lied to cover Orko. He didn't want to narc on his buddy. It's true, which is the more positive spin on it. It felt unheroic, I guess, in a way. It wasn't the always do right of He-Man. I think it fits into your theory that like, Prince Adam is like a passively good person. And then when he has to do good, you know, he'll bust out He-Man because he's not actively seeking out wrongs to right. In this situation, he knows he's supposed to help, but he can't. So he's trying to buy time until he can, I guess. But also he's not an arc. 
because he's always smoking weed. So, yeah, he doesn't want to explode the situation and have man at arms come down on Orko and just really destroy the buzz that Prince Adam had been building up. Yeah, you want a harshest vibe. So after yeah, man at arms and Tila leave, Skeletor reveals himself once again from behind a curtain. <laughs> I had that same note. It's not enough for Skeletor. So Prince Adam and Orko hear a rustling noise. The curtain shifts around a little bit. It's not enough for Skeletor to remove his invisibility hat. No, no, because He-Man's like, what? Who is that? And then Skeletor's like, just an old friend. And like peels back the curtain. And there he is. (laughs) He didn't have to to hide behind a curtain. He had a hat of invisibility on. Skeletor just always has to go the extra mile. Uh, Yeah, it's incredible. It's all about delivery. Skeletor riding the high of the stage brandishes a metal baton at Adam and Orko and shoots them with a freeze ray. It's both of them with the freeze ray. He tells Orko while he's frozen that, hey, when you wake up, tell all your friends I'm taking Adam to Banshee Forest. Which is an incredible name. That is a pretty good name. We cut over to Orko telling Man-at-Arms the situation, and they set out for the sorceress. Yeah, the sorceress will know what to do. They get to her to explain it, and she does. Uh, She's like, yeah, I know what happened. They go to start explaining it. She's like, yeah, I already know. The only thing it misses is her gesture toward the giant fucking TV that's on her wall. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, yeah, I know. So she reveals that uh, the sword has been sent into the past, and this is where it builds our hopes for time shenanigans. Orko and Cringer must take the time corridor to retrieve the sword from the past. Man-at-Arms wants to come as well, but he has another job to do. Yeah, the sorceress like orders him, like, no, you have another job to do. So Man-at-Arms looks crestfallen because he's missing an opportunity to experiment with the reason that the past briefly disrupted his arm laser. So they go through the portal, or the time corridor, and it's actually kind of like a trippy, timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly kind of thing with a bunch of flashing orange glowy lights and stuff. Meanwhile, Skeletor is lording over the swamp jungle forest and demonstrates a different kind of zapper to Beastman, which turns a tree into stone. So notably, it comes out of his staff this time, right? When he's demonstrating it. Later, it does not. It's like a different device. But right now, it's coming out of his staff thing. So Skeletor might have been lording over the forest but Prince Adam is like straight up lording it, laying down on the ground where he's lounging. He's just like tied up in a chain, full on fireman calendar lounging. As if Prince Adam is saying, oh, chains. Yeah, <laughs> I've had this experience before. So Skeletor does some monologuing about how they're going to get He-Man. And then they leave Prince Adam behind and they set up some laser bars. Laser bars. Laser bars. Sure. Which are literally like prison bars made with lasers. I don't understand why they like leave Adam there. I mean, I guess they're going to go to a higher vantage point to see if they can catch He-Man on his way in, right? Skeletor told Orko, as Orko was lying paralyzed, to come find them in the Banshee jungle or forest. And 
that's not a very specific location, presumably. So I guess they're expecting He-Man to just be wandering around the underbrush and they'll have to go pick him up. Which, how are they going to see him? Like, it's a forest. There's tree cover. It's really easy to approach a cave in a forest without being seen because there's trees everywhere. So, fair. But every situation that He-Man has been in, he has allowed himself to get frustrated for about two seconds and then resorts to punching or throwing something extremely dramatically. So the situation that I have to imagine is He-Man is wandering around the forest. He's getting blocked by trees. He's getting stung by gnats or whatever. And eventually he just starts punching stuff, grabbing boulders from the ground and flinging them into the air at the mosquitoes. I pick up one particularly big tree and swing it around by his trunk and clear out like a whole circle around him. So probably not too difficult to find. Yeah, start destroying things. So Prince Adam now alone realizes that the beeper was stuck under his belt and pulls it out, activates it and throws it outside of the laser bar cage to try to summon Stratos. Because he's a thing that flies. Which, a couple episodes ago, you had the question, does Stratos actually fly, or does he just use a jetpack? This answers that question, sort of. Stratos is a flying creature. I mean, do you fly with a jetpack, though? But if it attracts flying... Why does it attract, why does this attract flying creatures? Why would it attract Stratos? Because he has a jetpack on. So if that's the way he flies, he's not a flying creature. He's a creature who has the ability to fly through technology. He's not inherently a flying creature. Also, by definition, it just attracts flying creatures. So if the jetpack thing is true, it would also attract every hover bike and wind raider of which everybody seems to ride. Or at least the rich people do. I guess the Torgs had flying machines. Well, regardless of the technicalities of how it works, that's the plan. Yeah. We cut over to Man-at-Arms, who has apparently been tasked by the sorceress to create a robot replica of He-Man. Why? It's a good question. Watching the episode, I was like, okay, so they're going to have robot He-Man at this point, like, go pretend to fight Skeletor to distract him for a second? But why? What they do with him later makes even less sense of why they'd have to build an entire He-Man robot. Well, here are the time shenanigans. It's the fact that the sorceress, having already watched this episode, knows that they needed the robo He-Man to exist and as such had to ask Man-at-Arms to build him. She had to fulfill the loop. That's that's perfect. All right, so there are time shenanigans. I'm no longer disappointed in this episode. I'm glad we could make up that dumb nonsense for you. <laughs> Meanwhile, Orko and Cringer exit the time corridor. They are in a jungle filled with wild plants. Cringer is scared by a menacing shadow that turns out to be a cute little swamp hopper rabbit. But there are actual big and scary creatures here in the old timey swamp. Before we investigate those, we get a really quick cut over back to Prince Adam, 
who has summoned wolf bats instead of Stratos with the beeper. Working as intended. And then we cut right back to Cringer and Orko. There's a big giant who is wearing Orko's hat and is whittling using the sword of power. Do you think when He-Man has not transformed with the sword that the sword itself is anything special? It's like the other sort of situations like this is like Thor in the Marvel comics. He's like normally a doctor or whatever. And then when he uses his hammer, he turns into Thor in like earlier comics. Later, they kind of do away with the doctor personality. But anyway, or like Shazam is the one where it's like a 12 year old kid and he says some magic words and he turns into Shazam. There might have been some sort of device or stick or something he had, but I don't think so. I think he just says magic words. So the way it works in He-Man is he holds the sword and says the words and he turns into He-Man. So I think it's like not a regular sword unless you know the incantation or have been blessed with the powers of Grayskull because it's like also the powers were granted to him by the sorceress too, right? So it has to have her blessing and you have to say the right words. So it's like a regular sword that you need certain things to unlock. He-Man does call it a magic sword in the opening credits. Prince Adam laments its loss specifically. Tila mentions after the sword disappears in the first place, oh, why can't you just go get another sword? And Prince Adam's reaction makes it clear that that's not possible. It has some unique characteristics. I wonder if there's anything about the sword that, I don't know, the giant sitting there whittling, does he notice that he's whittling with the most powerful sword in the universe? I mean, it depends on if he took detect magic or not, or did he do like some other in like dumb spell? Yeah. So fireball over it. So Orko recalls man at arms advice to ask politely when you want something. So he asks politely. The giant politely refuses. Yeah, with a large giant roar. So Orko turns to the one skill that he has demonstrated very consistently, which is mischief causing. Mm. This is a spell that he casts that does not have an incantation. So what he ends up doing is making the hat on the giant's head grow to an insane size and like stick over the giant's head. By, I think, wiggling Orko's fingers and then magic rays kind of shoot out and hit the hat. Do you think there's different classes of spells that require incantations and the ones that don't? Like, uh, this is like a cantrip, more or less, so you can just do it, whereas the more powerful spells, like cleaning his room, require an incantation. The giant, in its confusion, drops the sword. Cringer runs up and grabs it in his mouth, and then Orko and Cringer book it while... That giant and several other ancient creatures chase after them. Yeah, it's a pretty Scooby-Doo scene where they're just kind of running away from this giant crowd of monsters. We cut over to Man-at-Arms, who is field testing the He-Man robot. It moves like a robot. That's how you know it's a robot. He has it do some of the signature combat rolls and sword swiping, and then gives a self-satisfied not bad at all (laughs) he did the the one move that he man does sometimes where he switches the sword back and forth between his hands right i noticed the robot doing and i never thought about it like why would he man ever do that does he ambidextrous you know when you get kitchen tongs 
and before you use them to grab something, you just gotta test them. Click, yeah, click. you have to. Otherwise, they won't work. So okay, so it's like a just an instinctive thing. He shifts it, chucks it over to his left hand, chucks it back to his right. Yeah, makes sense. Man at Arms heads back to Castle Grayskull. Cringer and Orko barely escape through the time corridor just before the giant's foot crashes down. But that's the end of the time shenanigans. We have passed back through the time corridor. We are firmly in the present. We went back to the future, right back to the present. Man-at-Arms presents the He-Man robot, which does fool Orko for a moment. And then we cut over to Prince Adam, where Stratos arrives and zaps the wolf bats and then sets off to tell Man-at-Arms Prince Adam's exact location. They had to have Stratos go there to tell them where it was. So Skeletor, like you said earlier, never told them exactly where Prince Adam would be, just in the forest in general. Do you think he planned that so that he would have time to set up whatever trap he had for He-Man? Not give an exact location so that it would take a little longer? That would make a certain amount of sense, especially if He-Man is going to be blundering through the forest or... At the least, when He-Man has tried to sneak or said he is going to sneak, he Mm -hmm. instead walks out and just starts calling out Skeletor very loudly. So even if Skeletor didn't have to plan, I guess it would be helpful to get the jump on He-Man, sort of snipe him with the stone zapper from behind cover. That would be a good plan. So, okay. (laughs) This next part raises a lot of questions. Yes. Man-at-Arms is talking into a walkie-talkie, telling someone or something to go distract Skeletor. And it turns out that that something is a robotic intelligence that lives in the attack track. And it is sassy. Like, he, I think he directly addressed, like, he's just like, all right, go cause a distraction. We need a distraction. So... Man-at-Arms says, attack track, use your sensors to find Skeletor. And the attack track says affirmative, uh, message received or whatever. And then Man-at-Arms says, try to decoy him, which whatever that means, if you can. And the attack track says, what do you mean, if, if I can? So the attack track is run by an AI, and it is incredibly sassy. Take back every... Every mean thing I ever said about the attack track, I'm now in love with it. It makes a lot of sense, too, because if you are an artificial intelligence, you can think millions of times more quickly than your human or whatever fleshy counterparts. You have the power of all knowledge at your fingertips, and they put you inside of the attack track the dumbest vehicle that anyone has ever created. Okay, be a little annoying, annoyed at uh, dumb questions too. How long has the attack track been sentient, I guess? Like, has it been this entire time? Just they haven't ever talked to it yet? I imagine that all the scenes where He-Man or whoever are riding in the, in the attack track, it's just constantly belittling them with snide remarks. And they had to cut it out of the show because they're not kid-friendly. 
there's no reason to believe that man at arms just invented artificial intelligence or you know whatever they don't mention anything like that i hope it gets more speaking parts me too i hope it stays sassy skeletor gloats over his impending victory he spies he-man so the attack track is not alone in its mission to decoy skeletor they've Mm -hmm. put robo he-man in the driver's seat who sits there very lifelessly why couldn't they've just made a mannequin why did it have to be a robot just make a he-man mannequin if that's all they're gonna do with it why go through all the trouble to like make him actuate and do barrel rolls and stuff Man at Arms is probably sort of annoying to be around, and the sorceress wanted him out of her hair for a while. Yeah, fair enough. Just give him something to do, give him something to tinker on. But it does not make any actual sense. No, it just sits there. So the tag track with a needlessly complex mannequin it lures Skeletor away. He-Man's buddies make it up to the cave with a sword. Man at Arms like chucks the sword and it like lands like short of the cave, like through the laser bars. Man at Arms, now with the magic sword, approaches the laser bar cave, throws the sword from a pretty good distance, and it lands point first in the ground. The animation makes it hard to tell if it's on the outside of the laser bars or just inside, but it is not close enough for prince adam to reach given that he is still lovingly shackled to the cave wall and like i get it laser bars sound pretty intimidating i mean they sound extremely dumb but they also sound a little intimidating and so man at arms doesn't want to get too close to them but he could not have handed the sword through the bars orko says like all right i'll come get it and then he-Man says, no, you can't get too close to them. If you touch them, it'll destroy you. Orko's like, okay. And it's like sneaks through. Yeah, Orko performs some more body horror morphing where his form elongates through the bars, but he just grabs the sword and hands it to Prince Adam. His power set is such like a Looney Tune power set where like there are superheroes in comic books that have like they know like superman's power is he's super strong or whatever or like you know green lantern can make things with his ring or spider-man's got the power of a spider they're i don't remember what their names are there's like a couple superheroes that their power set is literally that they are a cartoon character so they can just do cartoon they live by cartoon physics so they can do random shit like that where they can like elongate their body or survive crazy falls because they're literally a cartoon character living in real people's worlds is that uh, Yakko, Wacko, and Dot? Pretty much, yeah. So, like, his power set is he's a cartoon character, so he can just do cartoon things whenever. A blessing and a curse because he can morph his body, but also is required to be goofy as heck all the time. Everything has a cost, Truman. It's the law of equivalent exchange. Prince Adam takes the sword and starts to transform... Cringer talks, Cringer actually talks a lot in this episode as they are exploring the jungle, but Cringer talks once again and says, this part I like as He-Man is transforming. And then as He-Man is about to point his sword at Cringer, which is the end of the transformation sequence um, and causes Cringer to transform into Battle Cat, Cringer finishes, this is the part I don't like. What does that mean? I mean, he likes seeing Prince Adam transform, but then when he has to transform, he's not into it anymore. 
Maybe because he assumes that He-Man is going to save the day, protect Cringer. But literally every time Prince Adam transforms, at least so far as we've seen, Cringer also transforms into the ba- into Battle Cat. So is it every single time Cringer is hoping that Prince Adam will not point the sword at at him and, and cause him to transform, and he's disappointed every single time? I mean, I guess it must be. You think he'd dissociate it by now, the countless numbers of times they've transformed, that he would dislike the whole thing. I guess regardless, He-Man now transforms, breaks the chain, and the only way to get out of the laser bar prison is to wind up and punch the wall. He punches straight through the wall and gets out. Skeletor zaps the attack track off the road. They're following it in some kind of flying vehicle and then confronts Robo He-Man. But then he, since the attack track crashed, you can see that's a robot at this point, right? The face drops off. And he's like, oh no, I was fooled. What? He-Man shows up immediately and blows Skeletor and Beastman over. Yeah, he's got wind powers now. Like we've seen other people do this where they like blow real hard and it like it's like a wind powers and like knocks people over. I've never seen He-Man do this before. Uh, yeah, most powerful man in the universe, most powerful lungs in the universe, I guess. I guess so. I mean, it's all those bong rips. <laughs> so Prince Adam's experience is good for something. Yeah. Orko flies over and adds insult to injury and dumps water on Beastman for some reason. Splashes him in the face, like, for no reason, because it doesn't do anything other than get him wet, because Man-at-Arms drops, like, a mobile cage thing on him immediately after that, like, restrains him. A port-a-prison. A port-a-prison? That is a accurate name. And mentions that this will do until Beastman can be taken to the prison mines. They have prison mines? I missed that. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. <laughs> so they have literal hard labor for as prison sentencing oh man yeah that's not a good look it's a pretty regressive society especially given that marlena comes from earth in an age of technology that says something either really dark about earth's future or about marlena herself yeah that she would be totally cool with essentially hard labor as punishment penal colonies for stuff and trading with people that could use slave labor which explains why they're so cool with trading with the moon where they know they probably do cruel and unusual punishment because they themselves i mean to be fair in america we still do use prisoners as labor on like highway projects and stuff now granted you don't do you don't put people in the mines we still use prison labor a lot So I guess that says something about Marlena's past as well. America's present. Mm, mm. He-Man confronts Skeletor, who puts on his invisibility helmet. Uh, Is this when he knocks down He-Man? Yeah. Because this is the contender for the Skeletor quote of the week. Oh, yeah. Sitting down on the job, He-Man? And He-Man responds... Something about just standing up or something. I'm going to stand up to you, yeah. It, was, it wasn't good. It was perfectly on theme. <laughs> Skeletor pun. A very bad retort by He-Man. I mean, yeah. Oh, which, speaking of, 
I think another segment that we can do is best worst joke of the episode. So this would be a, a main contender for that. Yeah, I'm going to put forward a joke that we heard earlier in the episode, but did not bring up, which is as He-Man is putting out the volcano with zaps and flying away, he quips, too bad I don't have time for a steam bath. What? Which doesn't make any any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. It's a volcano, not a spa. So if you are interested, we can each be on the lookout for our best worst joke. I'll, I'll keep an eye out. He does get a follow-up. I won't stand up for this, or I'll stand up to you, and then says, I know how to wrap up this situation, and then asks Orko for Orko's gown. So Orko strips down, which again, like we don't see his body, but his like head peeks around the bush or whatever, or a rock he's hiding behind. What is Orko's body actually made of? But a he hands off his clothes to He-Man, who chucks it over. Somehow he gets it on Skeletor's head so he can see him and just takes off his helmet. He-Man's plan is apparently to flail around blindly until he encounters Skeletor. Because as soon as He-Man has the robe, he just sort of ducks down, head first, runs forward. And happens to run straight into Skeletor, which does not strike me as that good of a plan. It's not a very good plan at all. But it does work, so. So it was an effective plan. And then he just takes off uh, the helmet and crushes it, so now Skeletor is revealed. Skeletor starts to run away. Everyone's like, why don't you stop him, He-Man? And he just, oh, just you wait. And it turns out that He-Man managed to put the bat attract in his pocket the beeper and so skeletor is attacked by wolf bats and we get a pretty good shot of beastman's face like haha skeletor you get what you deserve we got to end on a laugh so we cut to orko who is talking about what he's going to do when they get back to the palace and man at arms tells him the only thing you're going to do is clean your room and orko goes through this back and forth with man at arms well, maybe I know a spell that can help me, Orko. Maybe I just need a little bit of magic, Orko. All right, fine. Each time it's a different character who says Orko, because the second time it's He-Man who says Orko, and then the third time it's it's Battle Cat. It's like, Orko! <laughs> he says, all right, I promise no magic, and then he crosses his fingers behind his back. And so while no one in the episode throws their head back laughing it's implied that the viewers should throw their heads back and laugh at this point. I don't know about you, Truman, but I did not. I didn't either. What do you think you learned this week? There were a lot of different options. So we got clean your room. We got there's a lot of ways to help. We got you should ask politely. At the end, with Orko thinking about magic, we got don't take the easy way out which I think was the first moral from the first episode uh, talking about Skeletor. So it's a little hard to pick. I think this one, though, so when Orko is confessing to Man-at-Arms about disappearing Prince Adam's sword, Man-at-Arms tells Orko, don't hide your problems. It only makes things worse. 
implying like, you know, if you have something bad going on, you should tell people because, you know, it's the only way that it's going to get solved. So that's what I think the moral is this week. Nope. Fuck. Are you ready for this? Yeah. All right. Cuts over to man at arms and he lays down some truth bombs. Being the most powerful man in the universe isn't all that makes He-Man such a great hero. Being strong is fine, but there's something even better. In today's story, He-Man uses something even more powerful than his muscles to beat Skeletor. Whoa. Do you, do you know what that was? <laughs> no. If you said his brain, you were right. <laughs> and just like a muscle, your brain is something that can develop to give yourself great power. So He-Man slipping the bat attract beeper on Skeletor is an instance of him using his brain to outwit Skeletor, that's the situation here? <laughs> I guess. I mean, I guess thinking of using Orko's clothes as a cloak? I don't know. Neither of which were that deep of theories. I don't, I don't know. Are you thinking? So the question that I have to ask you, Ben, is mm -hmm. do you believe that's true? And do we need to rearrange the hierarchy of power in Eternia? <laughs> well, I mean, I man at Arms says so that... So you think it's He-Man's brain is the most powerful thing on all of Eternia? Did they clarify that it's any brains are more powerful than muscles? He, okay, so he used something more powerful than his muscles to beat Skeletor, said his brain. So they do say He-Man's brain is more powerful than He-Man's muscles. They don't necessarily imply that Man-at-Arm's dumb brain is more powerful than He-Man's muscles. But they do make the analogy that a brain is like a muscle so i think we can land on that is that the brain is amongst the muscles that is the most powerful force in all of eternia that seems like a reasonable compromise to me that's the only way because muscles clearly beat out brains so much in this show because skeletor is doing way much more thinking than he-man does but he-man always seems to win now it doesn't mean he's doing good thinking i guess i don't know yeah, you could say that Skeletor maybe does a little bit too much thinking, overcomplicates all of his plans. As we've been watching He-Man, there is something that I have noticed. It's impossible not to notice as a viewer, but I've had a hard time articulating what it felt like to me. Whenever we get these shots of people preparing to move, they hear something and they need to go run somewhere, like... Prince Adam and Tila hear the ruckus in Orko's room and they need to go run over to investigate. Or really anytime they do like an action shot, it is the most awkward body movement I think I can imagine. People don't just run. They don't just move places or like do a somersault. They have to get their whole body into the movement. And there's a scene where He-Man is doing this. I think it's in the robo-test scene where Man-at-Arms is gathering combat data, where it occurred to me that it looks a lot like a toddler figuring out how to move in the world at the same time. Like, a toddler, when they want to go run somewhere, puts their whole body into the movement. You're talking about when they, like, it shows, like, a front-facing, like, body shot and they like sort of start shambling forward like they like lean and like lurch sort of yeah they do it looks like a eighth of a squat 
So they like yeah. hunker down a little bit and then move outward, like move forward or wherever they want to run. They like do a little squat and then like push themselves off to get moving. Yeah. Yeah, it's super weird. They're shambling forward. I mean, they're like lurch forward. And they use the same animation just like drawn over for every character for it. So it's like the same lurching movement. It's very strange. Do you think they use a reference for that? Like they filmed somebody and then they drew over it? I think it's a toddler or I guess alternately a drunk person. The only other thing is that I, we talked about the wolf bats, but it doesn't really do justice to the wolf bats themselves. I mean, they are exactly half wolf, half bat. I mean, they're bats with wolf heads. A hairless, gray-ish body and then just plopped right on the tip, just a wolf head. Yeah. (laughs) They look super top-heavy, like they would not be able to fly. They got a bunch of gnarly teeth and, like, a tongue wagging out. And they just fly around chomping. (laughs) So I noticed when they uh, were getting their plan together from the sorceress that they were getting their plan together from the sorceress. And the sorceress, like, ordered man-at-arms to not go that he would do something else instead or at least what she said was what they were going to do and duncan's a high-ranking member of like the royal court right of eternia she's got authority over man-at-arms right so that it means that grayskull is the power behind eternia or the power over eternia more or less i don't disagree I do think it's possible that even if the sorceress and king and queen of Eternia were peers, that man-at-arms, who is a subject of the king, would still defer to the sorceress because they're, like, allied states. Yeah, and she's higher-ranking in her part of the allied alliance. Man-at-arms and Prince Adam are, like, part of this team that works directly for the sorceress. So I guess the question is, what is the nature of the alliance between Castle Grayskull and the Kingdom of Eternia? Is it sort of like Castle Grayskull is the branch that handles the Skeletor matters? Or is it allies and equals and Castle Grayskull handles all of the Skeletor matters? I don't think that the sorceress is subject to the king and queen of Eternia. I wouldn't think so either. It's never bred that way. And I would see more that it's like the sorceress told the king and queen, hey, you have to do this. They would do it. But that might be more of a respect for her position. Like she's the pope or something, you know? I don't think that we've seen the sorceress interact with Randor or Marlena to this Mm -hmm. point. But yeah, it would be interesting to get a better read on that power dynamic. It's just a little window into it. It just seems like more of... The sorceress can boss around certain attorneys, I guess. That's all I get. So you're going to exercise your muscle brain this week? I'm going to exercise my muscle brain this week. Maybe I can train it with the power of zaps. Uh, Yeah. If you have thoughts on how to train your brain into the power of zaps, third most powerful expression in the world of attorney, send us... <laughs> Your muscle thoughts at hello <laughs> at attorneyreview.com as we'll see you next time. Strong finish. <laughs>